0: Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the Supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you
1: online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at
0: plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: Hey guys, I'm Topic, and you are listening to the House Culture podcast.
0: House Culture. Hello everybody and welcome to the House Culture Podcast with me, your host, Matt Rouse, the Managing Editor at House Culture. As always, I'd like to thank you for lending us your ears for the next hour or so. This podcast simply wouldn't happen without your support, so please continue to tune in and spread the word. And if it's your first time here, I'd like to welcome you to House Culture we are a collective of house music fans who have come together through their mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. Our residency is on Instagram at House Net, so if you don't already, head on over there to grab yourself a place on the virtual dance floor with over 100,000 other party people. And if club culture conversations are your thing, don't forget to dive into the depths of our huge back catalogue of over 50 episodes – Featuring voices as diverse as Britain's fiercest drag queen DJ Jodie Harsh, house music super producers Medusa, recent Grammy Award winner Purple Disco Machine, and genuine superstar DJs such as Paul Oakenfold, Fatboy Slim and Roger Sanchez. Whatever era of dance music you are into, we have got you covered. In this episode, we sit down with a DJ, producer and remixer who has had huge success bringing back classic melodies for the modern dance floor as well as creating massive anthems that have achieved well over a billion streams worldwide. It's the one and only topic. In this chat, you'll hear how scary it can be to make that transition from the studio
1: desk to the DJ booth. From being in the studio, being alone, no one's watching you and everything, to go on stage and to have like the full intention of everyone. Yeah, in the beginning, that was definitely intimidating or or, almost. How you should never dismiss your own creations. That's also how Breaking Me came about. We didn't really were hyped about the song actually, but then like three months later, we went to Miami and we were like, I think we underestimated that song. Uh, maybe we should finish it now. And then six, seven weeks later, the song was released.
0: What it's like to have a massive hit single during the pandemic. It was
1: really crazy to have like a global hit and not seeing it perform live. And the first time I did play it was an exit festival in Serbia. And that was over 18 months after the release of Breaking Me. <laughs> and his thoughts
0: on why the dance music community is so special.
1: I think all the people in the, in the dance music are very open-minded. It's like no matter who you are, you're always very welcome and it doesn't matter where you're from. And that's what, what I really, really enjoy about dance music. I hope you
0: enjoy this one. This is Topic. House Culture Hi Topic, it's great to have you on the House Culture Podcast today. You are an artist that burst onto the scene in 2014 and has never looked back since. You've released a huge number of club bangers since then with a massive single, Breaking Me, having achieved over a billion worldwide streams. You have a very specific sound and have collaborated with some huge stars along the way. However, we always want to start at the beginning and understand how you got to where you are today. So, can you tell us whereabouts you grew up and how you first discovered dance music there?
1: So, I grew up in Germany and um, I'm coming from a not very um, musical family, Mm -hmm. actually. And none of my brothers or sisters played uh, any instruments back then, nor my parents. I think my mom went to a choir class in school. (laughs) That's about it. (laughs) And um, yeah, at some point when I was. 15 or 16, um, our music teacher decided to show us the, the software logic. Mm-hmm. And um, for some reason, I really loved it. And in the beginning, I loved the technical part and not really liked the, the music. I just like to discover to, the software. And then w- once you got into it, all, all your possibilities to go you can, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's what, what really fascinated me in the beginning, that when you had a PlayStation game, you, you were very limited in what you can do. And with Logic, it, there was basically, or there is no limits. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, then from then on, I stopped playing PlayStation. And uh, after school, I always went to my laptop and um, tried stuff on logic no way
0: so you're actually creating music and creating things in logic before you're even old enough to go out and clubbing and experience the kind of dance music scene in that sense
1: yeah exactly i mean in the, in the beginning i was also more into hip-hop music mm-hmm. and um, so i started kind of making hip-hop beats but i always loved dance music so i always tried it a little bit but the problem was back then I had so many friends who wanted to be become rappers, and then I had a studio, and then I was always making beats and recording them. Mm. So there was not so much time always for making dance music. That came a few few years later. Then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And how much um, like how much success did you have with the with doing the hip hop side of things? Were you just producing tracks with your friends? Did you say, or was it like you were releasing stuff and getting some success there?
1: Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, it was definitely mostly for, for my friends or for, for local rappers that, that heard that, um, all right, that guy has a studio and he, he can make beats. Mm-hmm. And then um, also like stranger people came to me and I worked with them or I connected with some people on MySpace back then. Mm-hmm. And um, then I invited them to my studio. But um, that was not really successful back then. I mean, there were some songs that kind of got viral on myspace but it was mostly um local and kind of like in town Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so whereabouts in germany was it that you grew up Uh, i grew up close to Düsseldorf and cologne Mm -hmm. like in between of those big cities Mm
0: -hmm. a small town yeah (laughs) and what was the clubbing scene like there i mean you said you were into hip-hop and making beats What, what, what was the point where you started to go and experience dance music. How did you discover that?
1: I mean, I always, like when I hear it on the radio or sometimes like on house parties, I always liked it and I had an ear for it. But when I really got into it was, I think, um, from the Tomorrowland After Movie 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really like where the world of dance music opened up for me and where I kind of like saw okay there are DJs they they are artists they are putting out their music and then I just kind of dived into it and discovered like Avicii, Swedish House Mafia, Skrillex and Alesso and mm-hmm. all those guys which were like big back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what would you say
0: was kind of your breakthrough in terms of in terms of dance music I mean you know your track Light It Up was the one that uh you know seems to be the one that really propelled your career i mean was there anything kind of before that that we you were kind of getting traction with that you thought hang on this is something that can really i can really go with
1: oh before that um there, there, there was the the hip-hop time where i produced uh, stuff which then eventually in 2013 and 14 got kind of successful mm-hmm. i produced an album which uh went into the charts for for an artist and that was the first time that i went to the official german charts and Then, like, I don't know, half a year later, um, I just decided, why why not put out a song um, under my name? Mm -hmm. Because I was really uh, doing more and more um, house productions and just also like just like random instrumentals and beats. And uh, at some point I had one instrumental that I really liked and then. Uh, I asked Yona uh, Zelle, who's the singer from Light It Up. Mm-hmm. I asked him if he wants to try it with me and uh, if we should meet and uh, just try to write a song and, um, on the, on the instrumental. And we did that. I don't know, three weeks later, I just put it out on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and it didn't got super successful, but it definitely got kind of viral on YouTube. And, um, I also, uh, my best friend back then uh she's a big youtuber and she put it in her videos and her um travel vlogs and um yeah that definitely also helped to get it viral but that was my first single and my first step into the um yeah dance music world mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and
0: did it was it um You know, were you finding anyone was any of the, you know, you mentioned some of the like Avicii and Swedish House Mafia. Was there anyone that was picking up on this track that was playing it? Did you see it out there in the wild and like anyone kind of, um, you know, put it in their sets or anything like that? And how did that feel?
1: Um, No, actually, um, I didn't see any DJs picking it up in the beginning. Uh I was kind of... uh mad also because the song had kind of uh well youtube clicks and no radio wanted to play it and uh it was also on the itunes charts always like in the top 30 mm-hmm. but um for some reason that track never got played by the radio or, or something but i think it was because in mean, at the end of the 2014 the this progressive house style almost died out mm-hmm. and um, that track came a little bit too late probably for 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 that style. Yeah. Um so what was the what was the kind of next step after
0: that then, you know, in terms of the success that you'd had virally? What what did you think, did you have a game plan in terms of what you wanted to do next or were you just keeping producing and and seeing how
1: things went? Um yeah, I caught attention from an independent label or like distribution company and they wanted to do an album with me. And like after after light it up mm-hmm. and they offered me in advance and uh, like budget for videos and for me that was amazing because on the first single i had all the risk on my hands i shot a music video did some marketing and um i put kind of like all the money i had which was not much back then <laughs> maybe like four four thousand euro or something i put it in that project mm-hmm. and uh, it could very well have happened that no one would like that song and um, that I would have sit on that course forever but um, yeah then they they offered me that, I did an album mm-hmm. which kind of had the same story as Light It Up, it was not really recognized by the radios, not really put into Spotify playlists or, or anything but um, yeah then I think it went in the top 50 of the German album charts. So that's definitely a little bit of a success. And it was kind of like my first uh, step into the chart world. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. then I think it was like three or four months later, I released uh, the first single after the album. Mm -hmm. That was my single home with Nico Santos. Mm -hmm. And that song then finally uh, went crazy on the radio and uh, went and all the Spotify playlists you can you can imagine. and um, that was then the first real one that also, like DJs, uh, I saw in the two thousand and one one thousand and one tracklist that like many DJs started to play it live. and um, yeah, there, there was finally my real first step in the uh, dance music world yeah and i mean like
0: we've spoken to a lot of artists and dj's and producers on this podcast and you know some are saying their their judgment for success was when they first heard it on the radio themselves or when they were sent like a video clip by one of their friends of some dj playing it in a club or something like that what what did you have any of those moments where you thought oh, you know, this is incredible that like now it's really, really gaining traction.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say the first one was when I saw it or heard it on the radio, mm-hmm. I was in a restaurant and uh, I knew um, that a big radio station of uh, in Germany is always on in that uh, restaurant. Mm-hmm. And um, then I entered, just sat down uh, on my table and then the song went on and then I knew, okay, if they, they are playing it, at this time, um, because it was also like, it's kind of like 5 p.m. or something during the week, mm-hmm. then you know, like, okay, that's prime time. And yeah. uh, they don't do a handpick one-off at this time, you know, yeah. and that's when I knew, okay, I think uh, we are, we are
0: having a hit here. <laughs> I mean, did you have to tell anyone when you heard that um, when you were sat down? Like you'd be like it's to one of the waiters or something like this is this is this is me or like <sighs> any of your friends or
1: anything any feeling like that? It was funny because I was with Nico Santos actually, no the way. singer of the. Yeah, we we were together there, and um, we were just like, "Wow, this is incredible!" <laughs> we were in the restaurant, sitting down, and uh, the song is coming up.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Um, and I mean, you know, the tracks that you've produced as well, they've taken um, like inspiration from a very specific era in, in kind of dance music. You know, I'm thinking of your versions of For an Angel, um, Kern and 9 p.m. till I Come. Um, you know, what is it about that kind of late 90s
1: trance era that you, that you love so much? It's, it's funny because um, those songs didn't really get me into dance music yeah. in the first place. But I remember when I was like really young, like eight years, nine years old, my um, parents always bought those compilations. Mm-hmm. And um, I bet all of those songs that I did, like 9pm, Canclar 400 or Four an Angel, they were probably on those um, CDs. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why I knew them like for, for my whole life, um, those melodies. everything and uh, i remember when i was really young i always put on those compilation discs and just like listened to through the whole disc and through every song and uh, sometimes just sat alone in the living room of my parents for like an hour or two hours just like listening to all those songs and i think that's why they're kind of special to me even though I don't really have specific memories listening to 9 p.m. or to Foreign Angel, Mm -hmm. but it's just in me i would say
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it's part of your foundation i suppose i mean for me you know it's an era that's very special like close to my heart obviously obviously you know i'm i'm a little bit older and you know i was um there in the clubs like hearing those tracks and it's it's fantastic to see like and hear these young producers coming through like yourself that are you know paying reverence to these tracks from you know a specific part of time and, and reintroducing people to Um, to those sounds and to those melodies and putting that fresh spin on it Um, I mean as they were part of kind of like you say you were kind of growing up did it did it frighten you taking on something that was so inherent in terms of your musical education um, in terms of updating them or did you was it a fresh challenge to put your own spin on it?
1: I think it was just like very fresh and um, for me when I was like all the, all the songs I wrote was a- A7S uh, on mm. that. And we, we just go into the studio and we, it's weird. We don't really say like, okay, this is, that song was so big. And uh, uh, like, we don't visualize that it was so big back then. I think then we would get a lot of pressure and everything, mm-hmm. but we just take it and uh, open up Logic and just go uh, with the flow and do what we like and it's, really like the same workflow as if we would just start a song from scratch but only with the sample it's like you already have like something in it and um, then you just work around it and it's basically the exact same process as doing a song from scratch mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you
0: know your your version of AT, atb as well i mean you worked with atb to to create that how did that kind of partnership come about was it something that you wanted to create and atb came in after or was it the other way around how did that work
1: it was actually the other way around because um i was always really like i don't want to do cover songs i don't want to do sampling or remixes i just always want to do original stuff and then atb asked me if i would wanted to do it but then he already said like we we want to have a new song around it and we don't want to just like make this song a little bit new and remix it. Mm-hmm. And um, then, then I thought, like, okay, this, this that can be interesting. I love the melody, I love the sound of 9pm. And um, then I spoke with A7S, he was also up for it. And yeah. then um, the first step was that I created an instrumental, like in in my vibe a little bit, um, send it back to ATV. He, he worked a little bit on it. And then um, we went on Zoom because it was in, during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a7s he did his thing did some melodies some lyric ideas and um yeah all that stuff and then we put everything together that we had kind of like the the whole top line and um yeah then then i worked a little bit on it sent it back to atb he worked on it and then we met uh one final time in the studio and um yeah did the song uh finished the song together yeah
0: yeah and you know you mentioned the the pandemic and the way people were working and producing tracks kind of during that era in terms of you know being all isolated and working in pockets and sharing things in that way is that how you like to kind of work now um or do you prefer to all try and be together in the studio to collaborate and feed off each other what's your kind of vibe when you're when you're creating
1: no i actually hated uh, the zoom sessions <laughs> <laughs> It's like you need the connection to be with someone in the studio. Mm-hmm. I mean, with A7S and uh, me, it definitely works because we we worked on so many songs together and uh, we just know how we are. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why with him it's okay to be on Zoom. But I would definitely say like being in the room and there, there's a certain magic of being in the room with someone uh, with 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 other musicians, songwriters, producers, and um, that's what you don't get with Zoom,
0: unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally get that. And you know, we we have mentioned obviously the that um, you know taking on what can be seen as, as classic tracks, um, you know, are there any other kind of tracks from that era um, that you're like got your eye on and that you would love to try and take on and update to a new audience?
1: And not yet. I think most of the ones that I liked um, are already done mm-hmm. uh, either by me or by someone else. <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't know. I also don't want to overdo it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be that guy who takes stuff from the 90s always and make something new with it. But um, you never know. Maybe in two years I I will find something from 2010, which Mm -hmm. uh, is cool. I mean, at that time, there were also many great melodies and great songs um so you never know <laughs> <laughs> cool and i mean
0: um you've mentioned a7s um and obviously your most um you know one of your most well-known tunes that i mentioned at the top of this has achieved over a billion streams worldwide i mean you know that's just to hear that number it's it's crazy um uh-huh. you know it's, it's breaking me um how did how did you guys meet and how did that track specifically kind of come together
1: so, we met in Sweden in two thousand and seventeen, mm-hmm. and it was just like a random songwriting session. I went to Sweden for a week to uh, meet with some uh, songwriters. and um, yeah, and then we we, we just met in a studio and had a cool session. And from then on, we just uh, we, we connected very well. And uh, always stayed in touch. Always, when I came back to Sweden, I've met with him, and um, it was always amazing working with him. And um, after like one or two years, we started meeting more, going on songwriting trips together, and uh, then also becoming like very close friends actually. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then we, we kind of like worked every two or three months, we, we traveled somewhere together and um, yeah, work, worked on songs. Mm -hmm. and um that's also how breaking me came about we were traveling both to berlin actually and um, there we had a session and that was in summer of 2019 and um at first we we didn't really were hyped about the song actually we Mm -hmm. just uh had like some of the melodies Mm -hmm. and that was it and um We didn't had any lyric ideas or or, or anything, but then like three months later, we went to Miami for also like a songwriting trip, and we put back on the project uh, of Breaking Me, and we were really like, I think we underestimated that song. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe we should finish it now. And then we finished it in Miami, recorded it, and. Then, yeah, like six, seven weeks later, the song was already released.
0: Yeah, and, uh, you know, that you've described it yourself as as melancholy dance music. I mean, it's not often that you, you hear dance music that is kind of introspective in that way. I mean, um, is that the sound you were trying to create when you set out to make that track in terms of it being, having that kind of melancholy feel?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I, it's weird. I always liked... Uh, melancholic songs when Mm -hmm. even when i was a kid uh, i always like sad songs for some reason even though i'm not a very melancholic person um, it just makes me happy to listen to sad songs (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's why i always had a struggle in the beginning of finding my my sound because you know as you said like dance music is always uplifting and it's not really like something melancholic and that's why, in the beginning, it was really tough for me to to find something that's uplifting, but also that's melancholic and um then after after a few years now, I definitely know how to create that vibe to have like a melancholic thing in it, but also um yeah, like the uplifting touch that you can still play it on festivals.
0: Mm -hmm. and you know it came out during the pandemic as well i mean were you surprised at its success Uh, you know you kind of said that you you revisited the track and then you realized you know it's going to be it's going to be a big one you know um um, obviously it was released during that that period and what has has it been pleasurable to to be able to play it to live audiences again now and to see that kind of reaction just talk us through that a little bit
1: yeah i mean it it was really crazy to um, have like a global hit and not seeing it perform live and Mm -hmm. uh, not seeing the reaction of the people and I mean I saw it a little bit because many people tagged me on on Instagram when they were listening to it but um, yeah definitely was was a weird thing to not be able to play your biggest song of your your life Um, and the first time I did play it was in uh, at the Exit Festival in Serbia. Mm-hmm. That was kind of like the first uh, festival after p- the pandemic. And that was over 18 months after the release of Breaking Me. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was definitely a great feeling to finally see people singing that song. So when you're playing and you mentioned it was
0: 18 months since that had been released, when, when you were actually going out and playing live again, had you built up, um, amassed a whole bunch of tunes over those 18 months that you really wanted to play out live or were you like being mindful of no I've got to keep things fresh and up front for the audience you know how did you kind of manage that that performance playlist that you had when you were out there back out there after the pandemic
1: actually I'm always a guy who uh, does things um, at the latest point possible <laughs> like my, my deadlines are always like the, the the last one or two days i always go crazy because i didn't do anything <laughs> and luckily there was also the case with the settlers mm-hmm. i just had like two sleepless nights before the festival because <laughs> i had to finish all the songs and uh, i like Find new fresh stuff, find new mashups to make mm-hmm. and um yeah, it was two two days before the festival that <laughs> I started. <laughs>
0: No way, no way. And um, so, you know, and you've mentioned A7S like a few times as well. And obviously, you know, that's who you collaborated with for Breaking Me. I mean, you know, how do you guys kind of work together? um, Who looks after what? And do you, how do you manage any kind of disagreements in the studios? Is it an easy flow between you or is there often an argument, a point of friction? Like, how do you, how do you collaborate?
1: No, it's usually, there's not really um, friction points, but I mean, of course, there are many friction points, but, um we are kind of fast and like agreeing what's good and what's bad and like no one's uh, pissed off uh, if i say that's not good or if he's saying this is not not so good um we are always kind of like um, yeah ob- objective about mm-hmm. it and um that, that that's that's really good and uh in terms of who's doing what he, he's more of a songwriter and um lyric writer and I'm more the producer mm-hmm. so we're we doing it always both at the same time like I, I'm always starting production he's always starting like with some melodies and um, that's how we we are building the, the song up over the session mm-hmm. and um, so that's why after a session we usually have kind of like a finished song with the finished production or not, not like finished production but the finished demo production that you already can hear like where the song is about to go, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and
1: are you are you kind of a
0: perfectionist in the studio, or are you happy to to take things out and kind of road test them and judge an audience reaction, and go back into the studio and tweak things? How do you how do you operate in that way?
1: I think um, we are less perfectionist than than we think we are, <laughs> because we kind of like once we do something we like, we we stick to it and don't go crazy about it. Mm-hmm. I mean I can get a little bit perfectionist about the production to go into it and fix uh, like small details all the time but also over uh, over the time now um I'm getting less in that because I'm just realizing how you don't realize all the or, or like that the crowd is not realizing if you do like like those minor changes mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. that's why I'm kind of like
0: And Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host. (laughs) Cool. And, you know, in terms of, you know, it sounds like through kind of your journey as well, it's been more kind of production-based. And then a transition into kind of performance and DJing. I mean, uh, was that transition daunting at any stage? You know, if you're a, I'd imagine being an in-studio kind of producer and then suddenly you're in front of a live audience, um, you know, did you find that daunting in any way?
1: Oh, definitely. It was definitely um, like a hard uh, crossover, like from Mm -hmm. being in a studio, being alone, uh, no one's watching you and everything, to go on stage and to have like the full intention of everyone and um yeah in the beginning that was definitely yeah intimidating or or almost Mm. and um so in the beginning i also was always kind of like drinking a little bit before the show Mm -hmm. to get like a little bit eased off (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but i'm very happy that i don't have to do that anymore because I think with all the shows I have now, it would be not very healthy. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, do you still get nervous? Is uh, nerves a good thing for you?
1: Uh, I always like to say I'm getting excited
0: and not nervous. It's a good way of looking at it, definitely. I mean, we've spoken to um, Purple Disco Machine on this podcast, and he said that, you know, his personality was much more suited to to being in the studio. Um, You know, what do you kind of prefer... um, in terms of that performance aspect, do you like being behind the decks in front of that audience so you can like give a performance or do you prefer like, no, I want to get my head down behind a mixing desk?
1: Um, one year ago, I would have said definitely the, the studio, but right now um, I'm saying it's 50-50 actually, because now I just had like the, the craziest summer tour was all, all around Europe, um, no sleep all the time. But what happens then is like you play so many different songs and different festivals and you get so much new inspiration for, for new music. Mm-hmm. And um, th- th- that's why I would definitely say now I need both, even though I kind of like it more to be in the studio and to have like a fixed uh, day schedule and um, yeah regular sleep. <laughs> the studio time now gets a lot of more fun because I know how it is life, and um now I can sit down today, uh produce a song which I will play on friday, mm-hmm. and um that's also kind of like more same m- motivating yeah. maybe, yeah, yeah, but, you know okay, if I finish that song now, I can play it tomorrow and see people dancing to it, and not like before that in the pandemic, it was kind of like, okay, if I finish it now, then I just upload it in my dropbox and. Who knows what's going to happen with it? Mm. Who's going to hear maybe a few friends and then that's it. And yeah. now it's a different story. Uh, <laughs> and I can see
0: you're in your studio right now. Um, whereabouts is that? Like, where are you based?
1: I'm now based in Dubai. Mm-hmm. I've mo- moved here um, in the beginning of 2021. And um, yeah, but I'm, I'm now back. Uh, the last two, three months I was in Europe. Mm-hmm. And now I finally got back here for, for a week. And, um, yeah, have, like, studio time on my own, get get good sleep, train, and have good food. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. And I want to talk about remixes as well. So, you know, you're, not, you're like a triple threat in terms of production, DJ, remixer also. You know, you've um, remixed people like Medusa, who we've spoken to on the podcast. I mean, when those remixes come through to you, um, what are you trying to... to achieve in those are you how much of the original are you trying to maintain and how much of your own sound are you trying to inject
1: i think the most important one is to put your sound in it mm-hmm. because um, if you just keep too much of the original it's almost like um yeah you would ask like why doing a remix at all i <laughs> so was just try to put as much topic in it as possible (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: absolutely and you know you mentioned your your album as well um released back in 2015 i think um the you know can we expect a follow-up on that are you working on anything right now that's um moving towards an album? I mean, we've spoken to a lot of artists and, you know, some people love the idea of a fully encapsulated album that has, you know, a beginning, middle and end and tells a story. And other artists are kind of like, no, I'm just interested in releasing singles for the dance floor. Like, how do you sit on that? Um, And how would you approach it?
1: I'm I'm definitely a really big fan of albums and also Mm -hmm. of the whole process and making it and creating it. Um, but unfortunately, like the the audience is not really there anymore, and also the labels are not really interested in, in in doing that because you know they just want to have what's most profitable. Yes, <laughs> <I guess. laughs> yeah, that's why it's kind of hard to convince them mm-hmm. to make an album. They want to have like a big single with it and all that stuff. What label wants? But um, I don't know. For 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 me, I'm just in the process of creating just many songs right now and the songs for for the dance floor songs for the radio um yeah and that's my main focus right now Mm -hmm. and if it's going to be an album at some point then i'm happy and if not then it's just going to be a lot of singles which um, is also fine as long as it's going to be released and people are about to hear it
0: yeah, yeah, and is there ever a temptation to, you know, hark back to that era of when you were producing, you know, slower stuff like more hip hop stuff? You know, would is there ever a temptation to to go and produce a bit more of that again, or feed that into your music like you're producing now?
1: Not for my project. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I could, could, or I am actually doing it for for other artists. I'm still a producer um, for various um, different singers. Mm-hmm but for me right now I don't see it uh, coming back um, to make slower stuff mm-hmm. but, but also you never know um, maybe in a few years I'm, I'm older and I'm like okay let's make now chill out music <laughs> <laughs> you, you never know what happens I'm, I'm always going with what I like the most but right now I'm really like okay I want to make stuff that works on the dance floor that gets people dancing and people hype. this is my main motivation right now Yeah,
0: yeah. And, you know, you've mentioned, um, you know, your packed diary. And what have you got kind of coming up that you're looking forward to that you're most excited about? And, you know, what what kind of places are you going to you might not have been before or places that you'd like to go that you haven't been? What's kind of in your diary?
1: Um, We are just setting up a new um, America tour, North America. Um, I mean, I've been there last year already but um i really enjoyed it and um it's it's definitely nice after the european summer to go to the states because it's such a different vibe and the people are so different there Mm -hmm. and the, the venues are also so good and i really enjoyed it so i'm definitely looking forward to that and for late autumn winter we are still figuring out if i can go to asia that would be amazing because in asia i haven't i only have been one time like um on my own for just for holiday Mm -hmm. and um it would be amazing to like go there see different countries play festivals in asia and um that's what i'm looking forward the most
0: yeah and those different crowds in different places you know you mentioned that you've you've played in america and you know do you have to find you have to tailor what you're doing in terms of the audience there how do you approach that
1: oh yeah sure um it's definitely a different audience there and um, some songs that work very well in in europe doesn't work at all in in the states and um, that's why you have to really figure out what the venue is what the night is also and um then see uh w- what what the crowd reaction is so when I, when I toured in the US it was also like uh, from from venue to venue really like different and um so here in Europe right now I'm kind of having like a fixed set list mm-hmm. like um maybe I play from 40 songs 25 always right now mm-hmm. but if I would go to the US I would probably pack like 70 or 80 songs and only play 25 to yeah. have more options where, where i can go to
0: yeah and so you know doing that kind of semi gig research i mean do you like to absorb the vibe in the club before your set just to kind of see what's going on or do you just want to just blast in open the doors and just do your thing
1: yeah i usually like to be in the in the club or at the venue one hour before my set time mm-hmm. because then you you already hear the music you hear the crowd and i don't know you kind of get settled in better uh then if i would only like arrive two minutes later on the stage that would be maybe too much for me yeah
0: <laughs> yeah to try and hit the ground running in that way so you know, and you mentioned like having the 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 playlist that you've got. You know, you like kind of the record box of tracks that you're going to choose from. So, you know, we're going to move on now to talk about the the. House Culture Perfect playlist, which is on Spotify, and we've got your five tracks from the five different themes um that we always have. And every single one of our podcast guests has um submitted tracks for this playlist. It's it's huge, it's over 24 hours long, and it's got some you know brilliant, brilliant tracks in there, some really well known, some obscurities, you know, everything's completely chosen by our guests. So you know um i'm going to remind you what you've chosen as we go through them because the, the different things that we've got um so and we always start off with a with a catalyst tune a track that got you into dance music um and you have chosen a and years um can you just tell us why that came to your um top of mind when we're asking you for this choice what and what does it you know tell us about your experience with that tune
1: yeah i mean that song was kind of released late i think it was 2011 or 2012 mm-hmm. so it was obviously not my first dance song that i listened to mm-hmm. but it was the first one that i really researched um about it and like wanted. i wanted to know who's the artist and um how did he produce it and then i went on youtube already and uh, like looked up um of tutorials how to make that style and that's why i always say that song really sticks out because um before that song i was only listening to dance music like just on the go and just like oh this song is cool i'm gonna listen to that but not more but um alesso years was really the first one and i was really hyped about it and i saw like okay that that is very cool and i want to do something like this too
0: yeah, and like you mentioned, they're like going onto YouTube and researching it. How as a, an artist and producer, how how are you learning all the time? Are you absorbing and researching all of these different sounds and different ways to produce? Like, how does that how does that work for you?
1: Yeah, um, YouTube is amazing. I mean, you have so many great tutorials, so many guys um, doing just like amazing stuff and education and sam- uh, samples and. Uh, preset banks and all sort of stuff. So the internet is just like the best teacher, I think, to learn music production. I, I I would definitely say, don't spend crazy amount of money for going on to some production schools because your YouTube teachers are a lot better than like those teachers on 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 schools.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's great advice. um okay, so uh, and the next track for our playlist is the floor filler um and you've chosen uh your track with a7s uh kerncraft 400 um a better day we've kind of touched on it a little bit but um you know how did that why why is that a floor filler for you obviously it's your own track and people expect to hear it um but tell us about how that kind of came together and why you chose that for us
1: yeah i mean we we gotta give credit to um zombie nation here i mean <laughs> It, the song was already a floor filler before it was released. Mm-hmm. So it's just a sample and that melody, which is like it's crazy. Like you put it on no matter where you are you, you're in Australia, you're in the States, you're in, in Germany or wherever. People know that and go crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, you also get the crowd singing like immediately. Yeah. And that's just so sick with that song.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, okay. A, a sunsetter you've chosen, um, a track that could soundtrack a sun, sunset is, uh, Milo, um, AO technology. Um, just tell us about that.
1: Yeah, it was <laughs> funny cause the song is kind of old now. And, um, I chose the uh, track list, I think one or two days after I saw him live. Um, we were both on, on a watch show mm-hmm. and he got invited to like play the closing. And then he played that song as last song, and I was really like getting uh, like old memories back from when I was sixteen, seventeen, and um, I really liked listening to that song in any uh, in any way. Like like sometimes we we listened to it before we went to the club with friends, and even though it's just an acoustic song, it had so much energy, and um, people always loved it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a be- it's a beauty. Um okay, so a, t- a tearjerker. Um you have chosen Don't Worry Child Don't you worry child by Swedish House Mafia. Um why is that so meaningful in terms of a tearjerker for you?
1: Yeah, I was also thinking of putting that song into the Yes Salesso song because um that song means even more to me in terms of getting into music uh, into dance music. And um, it was also kind of like uh, not, not too long after I discovered Years by Alasso, that song came out. And then like I was really into dance music and I thought this is the coolest thing in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that also has like those melancholic vibes yeah. in it. And uh, this is why why I love it so much because it's it's such a good song. It's so well, well written mm-hmm. and um, John Martin singing it also like so good and then you have like this big production which still 10 years now sounds like fresh and new yeah and that's crazy yeah
0: yeah it's nuts it's nuts it still does the damage on the dance floor when you hear that um so a last tune um is crowd calling for one more what do you play and we've already really talked about this but you've chosen uh breaking me yeah yeah i mean in terms of in terms of that do you feel as an artist like a bit of a a bit of a pressure to to deliver the familiar tracks that people you know know that you've produced when you're when you're playing a gig Cause we've spoken to a few people that um were kind of like oh you know sometimes you know we might not play like the one that people expect us to play and people get upset or you know do you do you feel like you have to play it or do you sometimes be like oh no i really want to
1: yeah that's a very interesting question because sometimes i do feel like oh god if i play Breaking me now it's so boring and like oh uh, i can't hear it anymore <laughs> but then you have to remember it's not the same crowd on your summer tour every night mm-hmm. so they. are there are like 90% of the people are there, or maybe 95% of the people there, see me for their first times in their lives. And for them, it's like new and fresh and they really want to hear it. Yeah. So I always have to keep that in mind when I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want to play that song again. <laughs> and then you have to remind yourself like, yeah, you the last four days you, you played every night and you played it. And um, of course, for me, it's old but not for the people in the crowd, of course. So we, we will see how I think about it in five years, about breaking <laughs> life. But, but I guess that song won't leave my my sets for my whole life anymore. What mm-hmm. I like to do, what I'm still doing, actually, is to make different edits with it. And, um, la- last week I played Tomorrowland Mainstage, and I actually like um play the new mashup from uh 9pm mm-hmm. or like a new a new production on it like i produced in a whole live uh, version of it which is not released and which probably won't be released also and this is what i like and to tweak it a little bit over the time make it more fresh over the years, and um, I think this is the way to go. Also with Breaking Me. Right now, I'm still playing it with a mashup of a song by David Guetta and Modern. Mm-hmm. But I think in the winter now, I will probably make a new live edit myself uh, with Breaking Me. Excellent, excellent.
0: Yeah, I mean, just keep it fresh for not only for yourself but for the crowd as well. And you're still giving them an element of of what they want. I think is is the way to go. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, this is um, this is the end of the interview. So we always end up with one final question um, that we always ask our guests, which is, um, you know, we are house culture and we are all about uh, the the scene, the community, the DJs, producers, club owners, promoters, everyone behind the scenes. Um, You know, and obviously you are a huge part of that now and massive success in terms of what you've been doing. When you take a step back and look at what you've achieved and what it's given you in your in your life, what does it? What does the dance music and house music community kind of mean to you?
1: Oh, that's a really cool question because um, a few days ago I was talking with a friend about um, where, where do you feel most com- comfortable with which people? Like, what is it the nationality? Is it um, like a country, city, mm-hmm. and then? Um, he said like a country and a vibe, but then uh, I was saying, I actually feel most comfortable on when I'm with people from the dance music, like on festivals and on clubs Mm -hmm. Um, because I think all the people in the the dance music are very open-minded and um, it's like, no matter who you are, um, you're always very welcome and it doesn't matter where you're from. And, that's always like a nice feeling on, on those festivals or in clubs when you meet the promoters and you're having dinner, like it feels like a very small world, but a very like accepting and uh, cool world. And that's what, what I really, really enjoy about dance music.
0: Perfect. No, that's a brilliant final thought to end on. That's, um, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. House Culture. That was fascinating, wasn't it? Really interesting to hear how the new breed of DJs and producers are making their mark in dance music. And if you want to get some more topic in your life, his latest single called All or Nothing sees him making Sonic Synergy with vocalist Harvey, and is available on all streaming platforms now. As we're talking about tracks, don't forget that you can find the House Culture Perfect playlist on Spotify. This is the home for all of our interviewees' thematic submissions and is an absolute beast of banging beats. So make sure you give it a follow, stick it on shuffle, and turn it up loud. Then with that as your soundtrack, please do all of that other good stuff for us. Loving, liking, tweeting, and sharing. This podcast is one of the most shared in the world. So pass the message on to that neighbour of yours on the dance floor. We also love to hear your feedback. So whether that's in a review on Apple Podcasts or a comment on our Insta, please get in touch and we'll make sure to give those kind words some recognition on a future episode. This time around I'd like to say a big shout out to DJ Matt Hall who loved listening to our last episode featuring Judge Jules and that the judge's sage advice has when Matt's DJing inspired him to maintain eye contact with the crowd on the dance floor rather than on his laptop. I'm so pleased to hear that Matt and I hope it makes for a more positive approach when playing live. If you, dear listener, would like to see more of what we do, make sure you follow us on Instagram at HouseCultureNet or by following the hashtag TrueHouseCulture. Or if you want to get in touch with me directly, you can do that on Instagram at DJMantraHouse. Thanks for listening. Rave safe. And see you next time. House Culture.